Hope you all are doing well. Hope you all are enjoying this gloomy day. It's pretty pretty rainy, but you know, hopefully you're still experiencing some joy in the middle of it. Um, really uh, excited to be able to speak with you all this morning. Uh, grateful once again uh, to uh, Pastor Bembry for the invitation to speak and and just to be able to share this word with you um, that the Lord put on my heart called reducing the purpose. So. I want to um, share something that, that I think may be common, may, may be something that uh, resonates with you as well. But I know um, for as long as I can remember, since I was a, a, a child, I have always loved movies. I love watching movies. Uh, it's how I spend most birthdays. Um, you know, Prior to COVID, I would go to the movie theaters on, on, on most of my birthdays. But this past uh, birthday that I, I just had, just watched a, a movie on my on my tablet and still had a wonderful time. Right, I like the whole experience of just being immersed in a film. But even thinking about being in the movie theater, it wasn't just about the movie for me. It was also smelling the fresh popcorn. You know, when you walk in to the theater and you you go closer to the concession stand and you just smell that fresh popcorn. Not the popcorn that's been there a long time. You don't want that. But the one that's like just freshly popped, right? And and, and allowing myself to enjoy a, a cherry Coke, right? I don't want to drink too much soda in my life, right? Shout out to Pastor Joy somewhere, you know, healthy lives, healthy living, right? But I don't want to indulge in cherry Coke on a regular basis. But when I'm at the movie theater, I say, you know what? Let's just let's just have one just for the experience, right? And then when you have the popcorn, I don't just want to cover it in, in butter and my hands are greasy. But sometimes I like to put like raisinets and just mix it into the to the uh, situation there and just go all out with the movie theater experience. And I do this because I really enjoy film. I think it's an amazing way for stories to be shared. I, I would call myself a cinephile if it didn't sound so pretentious, right? I just, I'd just i rather say I love movies. I don't want to say I'm a cinephile. It sounds too stuck up for, for my own taste, at least. And one thing I often find myself doing is immersing myself in the film and becoming enamored with the world that the film presents to me, particularly before any sort of conflict arrives. When I can just see the setting the time and space, the way the characters are living, I just want to freeze it in that time. I just want to really just enjoy that calm before the proverbial storm. I want to preserve it before any conflict can get in the way. I remember watching Black Panther in the theater for the first time. And I I can say honestly that watching that film is one of the happiest times I've ever had in a movie theater. I'm seeing this amazing scenery, all these wonderful, just healthy people. And I don't want the world of Wakanda to stop on the screen. There's a part of you that gets so caught up, so immersed in the film, you're like, I I want this to just spill over into real life. I want Wakanda to be real. And I certainly didn't want any sort of conflict to interrupt what I was seeing. But as we know, every movie has to have conflict. In fact, what would a good story be without conflict? Conflict 
is the heartbeat of every story, including ours. I want to dare you to try to tell a story without conflict. Right? Imagine if you're gathered around and, and we're all sharing stories. Try to tell a story without conflict and see how bored everyone else will be. How pointless the entire storytelling exercise would be without conflict. Stories subsist on conflict. They could not exist without conflict. And friends, life is similar in the sense that most folks don't want any conflict in their lives. We are collectively, especially in 2021, over the drama. We don't want the smoke. But friends, what would life be without the smoke? I'm not telling you or advocating for you to be just a, a very belligerent person and just bursting into every situation possible and just being um, angry and frustrating the serenity of the space. No, no, no. But I, I am saying that without the smoke, without the conflict, there is no testimony. There is no story of how you got over. And if there's no testimony, if there's no story of how you got over, there's also no opportunities for you to stretch your faith. And without those opportunities to stretch your faith, the paths towards your purpose are limited. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, if it's all right. I want us to talk about reducing the purpose. I want us to deal with the calling on your life. It is good news, my friends, that God does not make junk. That everything in existence is imbued with purpose. Now, especially in the midst of the summer, you may find yourself complaining about mosquitoes. You may be grossed out by worms when it rains and wonder, Lord, why did you, in your infinite wisdom and power, make such nasty things? You may be so convinced that they are such nasty things that there is no way in your mind that these nasty things have purpose. But without mosquitoes, without worms, ecosystems would fall into unpredicted demonstrations of imbalance. As inconvenient as they are to us, they serve a greater purpose. Now, we know far too well that created things, mosquitoes, worms, all sorts of creatures, are not the only nasty things we encounter. That as bad as worms and mosquitoes may be, they don't compare to the nastiness found in the world's brokenness. Hatred, oppression, inequities. Perhaps your heart broke like mine following the reports about thousands of refugees trying to flee Afghanistan this week. 
People are so afraid about what the future may hold that some were willing to hold onto the landing gear of a plane while it takes off. You have women who are unsure of their safety as their latitude within society drastically decreases. You have young girls unsure if they will be able to ever continue their education. But we know that oppression is not new. The effects of empire resonate throughout human history, including our text today. As the main voice we hear in the text comes from the decree of Cyrus. Now Cyrus was a leader of the Persian Empire. He is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Isaiah favorably. Isaiah 44 says, The Lord says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. In our scripture today, we see Cyrus declaring his dominion and the guarantor of his dominion. It's not just about Cyrus and Cyrus's power. It's about Cyrus and the one who gave Cyrus power. Cyrus's language is peculiar when compared to other world leaders in his weight class. It is frankly odd to see Cyrus not take full credit for his dominion of the known world. Cyrus does not claim divinity, rather he credits the divine for his dominion. The Lord God of heaven gave Cyrus the kingdoms of the earth. There are some later historical examples that come to mind of world powers exercising divine claim over land, but unlike those later examples, Cyrus's claim is not entirely self-serving. Cyrus goes on to claim that the Lord has commanded him to build a house in Jerusalem. I want us to really put ourselves in the text here. Think of this if you were receiving this through the ears of a Jewish person in exile, a member of the people of Israel in exile. How odd this must have been for their ears at that time. To hear the leader of the empire that's currently keeping you in exile speak of your restoration. Cyrus goes on to ask, who is among you of all his people? And in this, he's inviting any who were willing and able to participate in their own restoration. Cyrus's words give us a glimpse of God's nature. Throughout scripture, the Lord has many names. But the name I want to focus on for a moment is Elohim. Elohim is the name of God used in the creation story in Genesis. When God says, let us make man in our image, the name of God used there is Elohim. I mention this because we see an instance here in Ezra where the Lord's servant Cyrus is inviting God's people to participate in their own restoration. Friends, when we participate in restoration, 
which I would argue is a significant calling on the lives of Christians, on the lives of those who follow Christ, on our lives in this time and space, in this time of brokenness and despair, we are called to be ambassadors of hope. We are called to be lighthouses. We are called, we are invited by the Lord himself to co-create with God. God is the one who made all things. God invites us not to dominate creation, but to be a good steward of creation. Being a good steward of creation involves and includes the sacred work of restoration. Cyrus calls for people to bring their resources, silver, gold, goods, livestock, not including the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. There's a call for the talents and treasures, including those which are freely given to the house of God. These are the ingredients for restoration. These are the necessary tools in order to bring back to life that which was broken by dominion. The process through which order will be restored. Everything will be set in order by good stewardship. Once again, I have to wonder, and I invite you to wonder with me, friends, how odd this must have been for ears in exile at this time. For those who have only known a life in exile. For those whom Jerusalem is more of a hope for whom Jerusalem is an idea much more than it is a real place. For these ears in exile to hear this good news, not from a prophet on the fringe of society, not from a charismatic revolutionary leader, but from the face of the empire. What does this say about God? That even a king, even an emperor, can serve as God's messenger. How great is our God? Too often, friends, in the midst of crisis, we are seduced by a limited understanding of order. If my house is being foreclosed, I foolishly think the final say is up to the bank. If my son is on trial, I foolishly think the final word is with the judge. If I am sick, I foolishly think the final word is with the doctor. But we serve a God who can tell the bank to forgive debt. We serve a God who can tell the judge not guilty. We serve a God who can tell the doctors that I am healed. Friends, remind yourself that the Lord could not give it. The Lord could not give these things if these things did not belong to God. But friends, the good news I have for you today is that it all 
belongs to God. What are the powers of this world? Mere instruments for the Lord's using. Scripture tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, meaning the earth and everything in it. This includes and is not limited to your job, our church. Every power in the planet belongs to God. This very pandemic is within God's jurisdiction. Your finances are within God's jurisdiction. This church's finances are within God's jurisdiction. And as big and as bad as trials may seem, they can only do what they do until the Lord declares enough. Friends, I cannot unremember what February 2012 means in my life. I was in the throes of a severe lupus flare. Certain of my death at 23 years old. My brain was swelling. My systems were failing. I felt like a disappointment. I thought I was a failure. I thought that that was it for me. I'm speaking to myself as a 23-year-old and saying I have had a good run. I was being tormented in that hospital room. Until I felt the Holy Spirit's presence in that space interrupt the torment and I heard enough. Perhaps you are working a job and that job takes far more than it gives. And you don't know how you'll ever get reprieve until you receive a divine interruption that tells you enough. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe nobody here today knows what it's like to be in a marginalized group. Maybe nobody here today knows what it's like to be far from your yard. Maybe nobody here today knows what it's like to sing their song in a strange land. But friends, I want to tell you today that nothing surprises God. That nothing catches God unaware. And as powerful as things appear to be, they all have expiration dates. Every power under heaven will have to encounter the divine interruption that says, enough. So how do we live our lives with this good information in tow? Do we duck our heads in the proverbial sand and wait until the coast is clear? That surely feels convenient given the times we're in currently, but I am encouraged by the Lord's use of Cyrus. Our Lord is disinterested in man-made benchmarks that celebrate partial credit for justice. We must disabuse ourselves of setting the bar so low. We must disabuse ourselves of setting the bar so low beneath what God has actually called us to do. This, regardless of the despair, Regardless of the anxiety, regardless of the word, regardless of the tangible problems, this is not a dismissal of the realities of our time. It is a call toward the greater reality that cannot be bound by time. These eternal realities. The eternal realities that this is a time for home. That this is a time for builders. 
It is a time for followers of Christ who take the Lord's prayer seriously on earth as it is in heaven. Let us consider God's faithfulness. In Jeremiah 29, scripture tells us, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and keep my good promise to you, causing you to return to this place. The Lord is not bound to our myopic understanding of time. God deals with us in seasons. And every season bears fruit with God. There are seasons where you must rest, seasons where you are pruned and shown that the main thing is the main thing. There are seasons where the blessings overflow, not for yourself so that you may foolishly boast, but in order to be a blessing, in order to be an instrument of repair. Cyrus did not pull the Israelites into exile. But God was using him as an instrument of repair in a manner tantamount to God's use of the Babylonians to punish the people of Israel. The goal is always imminence. Our God desires closeness. Time spent with God. God with us. Relationship and doing life with the one who made us all. It is easy for us to reduce this purpose. We can hear blessings and conjure material things. We can hear blessings and think about a new car, a new house, money, material things. And while God can and does often manifest blessings in the material space, I am also reminded of Jesus' call to not store your treasure where moth can destroy. What God has for us, my friends, is far too grand to be solely reduced to stuff. Don't reduce the purpose that God has for your life to things that can make money. God is calling us to build beyond the tangible, to build exceedingly and abundantly above whatever we may ask or think. God is calling for us to be surprised by joy to be reminded of God's goodness. Some heard Cyrus's words and they could only imagine a building. That was the limit of their divine imagination. They could only imagine a building. And indeed, a temple would eventually be reconstructed. But much more than that beautiful building God is calling for us to build lives totally centered on honoring God with how we live. God is calling for us to honor God with how we treat one another. To be living temples. To be lighthouses in the midst of despair. To be ambassadors of hope in the midst of chaos. And our witness is far more caught than taught. It's not the doctrine. It's not the repetition. It's not the cliches. But it's how we respond to one another. Particularly in times of, of adversity. Like these times. 
This is the mark of our walk with Christ. So let us keep courage, my friends. Let us be reminded that there is nothing too hard for God. Power belongs to God. Amen. Thank you.